When we find the word hope in the Bible, is that just referring to statistical probabilities or wishful thinking? Or what does it mean when we find it in the Bible? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, November the 22nd of 2010. I'm your host, as always, Toby Logsdon. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for downloading this message. Uh, I've got some exciting things to announce for you guys today. Last week, uh, if you remember, I had told you guys that, that China was one of our top uh, geographical regions as far as uh, our downloads go. And I wanted to share with you uh, the states that download our stuff the most, our, our podcasts the most. Uh, the top couple, this is exciting for me, the top couple are Virginia, Georgia, and, and California. Actually, California is up there. Uh, and that was exciting for me. But I also wanted to, uh, to let you guys know that, that Washington is up there. And speaking of Washington, I'm actually going to be in Washington next month. Uh, next month on uh, December 19th, I'm going to be preaching at Linwood Evangelical Free Church, uh, of course located in Linwood, Washington, in the kind of northern Seattle suburbs. So if you're in that area, I know that we've got uh, quite a few listeners in the Washington area uh, who listen to us. And if you're anywhere near Linwood and you want to come hear me teach, uh, I will be speaking at Linwood Evangelical Free Church. So um, if you want to Google their website, you can find them online and get directions uh, to their church. But yeah, I will be there on the 19th. And I already know that um, I think three or four of you are planning on being there. And my college roommate actually lives about 10 minutes away from there, 10, 15 minutes away from there. And that's exciting for me. I haven't seen him since, I think, 2002, maybe early 2003, and of course, that was before I really came back to Jesus in uh, June of 2003, so uh, he hasn't seen me since then, but I think he is actually going to be there. It sounds like he's going to be there, and some of you guys are planning on being there too, so I am really looking forward to going up there. This is a church that I've applied with, and it seems like a, a really neat church. They have a missionary from Korea serving as their um, kind of as their pulpit supply, you know, giving their sermons on a weekly basis, and he sounds like a really neat guy. So I'm just I'm looking forward to going up there and meeting them, meeting some of you guys, and who knows, I, I may end up in that area. At this point, it's obviously between them and the Lord. And again, that's Linwood Evangelical Free Church, and I'll be there on December 19th. I think we're leaving the 20th, so uh, if you're in the area, I'd love to meet you. Anyway, before we get started here, I wanted to remind you guys that we are a listener-supported ministry. We do rely on you guys to help keep our ministry going on a monthly basis, and this month... If you are supporting us monthly, if you're already signed up to support us monthly through bank drafts, you're going to get a copy of William Lane Craig's 
newest book called On Guard, Defending Your Faith with Reason and Precision, or if you sign up this month to support us regularly, you're going to get a copy of this book, or the third option, if you make a one-time gift of $30 or more, we're going to send you a copy of this book. This is a book that's going to really open up your eyes, open up your mind to being able to analyze arguments and respond to them intelligently. And so if you like apologetics, this book is right up your alley. And by the way, speaking of apologetics, remember, we're going to be having a Q&A lesson here in two weeks, and I haven't received any questions yet on any verses or passages. So uh, don't be shy. If you have a question about a verse or a passage, and you want to be one of the first people we have on a Q&A lesson, drop me an email. My email address is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, or you can go to biblestudypodcasts.org, and on the top, there is a contact button. You can write to me there. And, um, you know, if I, I guess if we don't get any questions, we'll figure something else out, but uh, I'm really excited to bring the Q&A lessons back and to actually make them live conversations. Uh, you don't have to have Skype. If you just have a telephone, we can record the call, and we'll produce it as a podcast as part of a Q&A lesson. So anyway, get your questions in. I'm looking forward to talking to some of you guys. Anyway, we do have a lesson to do here today, and I'm looking forward to this too. So let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much just for who you are, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've you've revealed so many amazing things to us so far in the book of Romans. And Lord, uh, as we go through this section where we're talking about serving and really living a life that's devoted to you, I pray that you'll speak to each one of us individually as to how you would have us live these principles out. We love you, Father. We give you this time to glorify you and to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is it that gets you personally through the hard times in life? I mean, we all have seasons in life in which we're either so broken or we're so uh, twisted or, or challenged that all we can see is despair. Yes, even for us, you and me as followers of Jesus, life comes with twists and turns and with challenges and disappointments, lost opportunities and, and letdowns. This is an area in which oftentimes we're not really all that different from our friends and family members who maybe don't share our faith. The difference, however, the difference should be found in how we deal with despair. When I was growing up in Las Vegas, I lived about half a mile away from a 7-Eleven convenience store. At the time, it was still a, a relatively safe area of town. It's not now, but it used to be. And so my parents would let me walk or, or maybe even ride my bike to get a Slurpee or a candy bar or just play video games over there from time to time. And as I got older, the area started becoming more and more run down. And it became fairly common to find graffiti spray-painted on walls made of cinder blocks in the, in the area, in my neighborhood. And I remember when I was probably around, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old, in the alley that was found right behind that 7-Eleven, someone spray-painted, can't cope, don't mope, there's hope, smoke dope. Now, that's not exactly uh, quite as poetic as the likes of you know people like Ernest Hemingway or Sylvia Plath, but it actually reflects the same despair that one will find in their poetry. In fact, both Hemingway and Plath committed suicide as a result of their despair. And I think one of the reasons that people love their poetry so much is because both Plath and Hemingway were able to so 
creatively and artistically articulate the despair that people tend to feel, which is the same type of despair reflected in the not-so-articulate poem that was spray-painted on that alley wall behind the 7-Eleven, encouraging those in despair to turn to drugs. And sadly, this is how many people actually deal with despair. They latch on to some addiction, and they model their life so that it revolves around their addiction, their daily fix, or in really severe cases, uh, their multiple times per day fix. Whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography, people in despair are looking for something to live for, something to either make life exciting again or to numb the emotional pain or fear that they've lived with. And obviously, these types of things are not an option for someone who follows Jesus. Paul's instructed the Christ follower to be a living sacrifice, back in verse 1 of chapter 12, right? And we've seen how he's gently encouraged us to serve, to serve the body of Christ in accordance with the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us, the the things that he's blessed us with, the abilities that we now have uh, that he empowers us to do. Well, nobody knows the human heart as intimately as the Holy Spirit. Paul's told us that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf for needs that we don't even realize that we have. That's something that Paul hit on back in chapter 8. That's some seriously intimate knowledge and understanding of us on a personal level. And I think that it's this knowledge of the human heart that's caused the Holy Spirit to inspire Paul to give his audience a brief glimpse of what a healthy church body should look like by instructing them to do things which are, well, somewhat contrary to human tendencies. He told us to avoid hypocrisy by hating what's evil and clinging to what's good. He told us to be devoted to one another as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ with the same type of devotion that a husband and wife should have toward each other and to likewise honor one another above ourselves. He told us to be diligent in serving the Lord and to do so joyfully and enthusiastically. And he continues this brief set of instructions writing here in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Well, there's no question that those of us in Western civilization have a very difficult time, at best, a very difficult time understanding exactly what it means to persevere through tribulation. We have an enormous number of churches in our culture, and there are plenty of places in America where you can drive down a one-mile stretch of road and maybe pass more than five churches. I've, I've been down roads where you can pass more than five churches within a mile, and many of our churches are enormous architectural structures towering into the sky, often with this enormous cross as the high point of the building. Uh, Here in northwest Arkansas, for example, we have one church which has three gigantic crosses sitting right out in front of the church, each of which came at the cost of over one million dollars. For us to think that there is even the slightest hint of extreme Christian persecution, I'm talking about extreme persecution, in the United States is kind of an insult to our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who live in places where you cannot find a single Christian church building anywhere. The fact is that there are still many, many places around the world which are so hostile to Christianity, so hostile to the gospel message, that a Christ follower realizes that they and their families will probably be brutally killed if their faith becomes public knowledge. On October 31st of this year, 
just a, a few weeks ago, Christians in Baghdad, Iraq, came under enormous persecution as their persecutors began bombing the places where the Christians were meeting. And the bombings have continued, and they are continuing to this day. And many of our dear brothers and sisters in the Lord over in Iraq have been martyred. The message to them is clear. If you want to meet together as Christians, prepare to die a merciless death. Just today, in fact, today, November 22nd of 2010, just today, three more Iraqi followers of Jesus were killed in the Iraqi city of Mosul. An article from CNN reports, quote, In one attack, two Christian brothers were killed in Mosul when gunmen broke into their workplace in an industrial part of the city and shot them. The brothers were welders who owned the shop. On Monday evening, police found an elderly Christian woman strangled in her home in central Mosul. End quote. See, these victims obviously all have two things in common. First of all, they were Christ followers. And secondly, they were all murdered in cold blood in very deliberate and intentional ways. They were definitely hunted down by somebody who doesn't want any Christians around. And friends, Iraq isn't the only place where our beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord are under attack. There's persecution of Christ followers throughout places like Asia and Africa and the Middle East. And if you've ever wondered why I get so excited to know that one of the top downloading regions we have for our ministry here is China, let it be known that it's because I know that China is one place where Christians are mercilessly persecuted. For the most part, they like many other persecuted areas, are forced to meet privately in homes. And there are areas of China in which smuggling a Bible into the country is as heinous a crime for them as smuggling cocaine across the border into the country here in the United States is for us. And the punishment is sometimes equally severe. Now, despite such intimidation and persecution, however, the church in China... God bless them. They are amazing. They're one of the fastest growing churches in the world right now. Why? Well, they're being blessed by the Lord, first of all, obviously, but I'd also say that it's because following Jesus is the only source of true hope in all of human existence, whether you're living in America or living in Iraq or in China. Following Jesus is the only, the only source of true hope in all of human existence. See, we all realize that life is fragile. It can be gone in a second. Our lives are so short, and death comes quickly. Whether we live to be one year old or a hundred years old, it still seems so short, and there's still something that seems so radically unfair about death. The natural man thus has this fear of death, whether that's for their fear of ceasing to exist or for the fear of being forgotten as soon as they're gone. But there's a hope. There's true hope for the follower of Jesus. And that's why when a friend of mine recently had a conversation with a Christ follower from China, when he told the Chinese Christ follower that uh, that he's praying for their tribulation to decrease, the Chinese Christ follower responded by saying, and we're praying for an increase of your tribulation so that you may experience the joy of rejoicing in hope in the midst of of persecution and tribulation. In other words, friends, in other words, the reality is that the tribulation that they experience in China doesn't weaken their faith. It doesn't take away their resolve to follow Jesus. It strengthens it. It prevents them from following Jesus half-heartedly, and it forces them to follow him wholeheartedly or not at all. 
See, we here in Western civilization can very easily say that we've given our life to Jesus, but have we really? Would we give our lives for Jesus? That's the real question. Now, just to clarify, I'm not saying that there's no persecution of Christians in Western civilization. No doubt about it, there is. Christians aren't allowed many of the same freedoms as many other groups. For example, it's legal in the city of Las Vegas for someone to stand on Las Vegas Boulevard handing out pornographic pamphlets. But you can be thrown in jail in Las Vegas if you stand right next to those people handing out the pornography and you pass out gospel tracts. In fact, this has actually happened. I was living in Las Vegas when this kind of thing happened. And I I think we can all see that there's a double standard there. Uh, in recent years, students in public schools have been expelled from school or maybe just sent home from school to change their clothes because they were wearing a shirt with a religious message on it. And yet, the school systems don't take the same measures with those of other religions who wear clothing which reflects their religion. Again, there's certainly a double standard. It is persecution. Christ followers are persecuted in Western civilization, but it's rare that someone is murdered or martyred for following Christ in our culture. So the persecution is there, but to a much lesser extent, a much lesser degree than it is in other parts of the world. But regardless of the degree of persecution or tribulation, Paul tells us to rejoice in hope, enduring tribulation. The former is a means to the latter. In other words, the reason that we can endure tribulation is because we rejoice in hope. Now, hope might be defined in a dictionary as a belief in or a desire for a positive outcome. Uh, Such a definition basically boils down to wishful thinking. For example, when I travel to Washington State next month, I hope uh, that I don't have to undergo the TSA, or the the Transportation Security Administration's new pat-down screening. I really hope that I don't have to go through that. Uh, Someone might buy a lottery ticket and say, I hope I win. Someone might say that, uh, that LeBron James brings hope to the Miami Heat. So is that the type of hope that Paul is telling us to rejoice in? Are we to rejoice in our wishful thinking or our positive thinking or in the chance or possibility of something happening? No. That's not what Paul's saying here. To understand what he's saying, we actually have to have a biblical understanding of what real hope is. Uh, Peter used this word when he instructed his audience, who was undergoing immense persecution by the Roman Empire, writing, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. That's from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And this is actually one of my all-time favorite verses in the whole Bible. Uh, let me explain why. When was Peter ever known for speaking with meekness or fear or gentleness or reverence, as some translations have it. Well, most of what we know about him, about about Peter, is found in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And we almost always see him as this brash, uh, unrefined, rugged guy who gets caught with his foot in his mouth time and time again, right? Well, he was the type of person who kind of said whatever was on his mind without taking the time to think about what he was saying. And so the fact that he instructs his readers to explain their hope with meekness, uh, with gentleness, with respect and reverence, uh, tells me that the Holy Spirit worked on Peter 
relentlessly, and that over the course of his life, Peter became more and more like Christ. And the reason that this gives me hope is because if he can work with somebody like Peter, I know that he can work with somebody like me. See, Peter didn't remain as the brash, the often harsh, unrefined, rugged Peter. He learned how to love, how to respect, and how to serve people the way that Jesus did it before all was said and done. Peter encouraged meekness and fear. Did you get that? Peter is encouraging meekness and fear? Yes, and that's evidence of how drastically a person's life can and will be changed when God works to conform us to the image of Jesus. However, we still might not get a clear glimpse of what Peter means by hope in this context. So maybe a clearer understanding of hope will be found in the words of Job. Now, we all know the story of Job. We know the trials and the tribulations that Job went through. But in the midst of his suffering, he said, the hope of the godless will perish in chapter 8, verse 13. Now, suspecting that God was behind what seemed to be an impending death, he also said, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's from chapter 13, verse 15. But the most revealing statement that I think Job made about what hope means is found in chapter 27, verse 8, where he says, For what is the hope of the godless when he is cut off, when God requires his life? In other words, what you live for is what you hope in. If the purpose of life for the godless is to live for themselves, then they have nothing. They have no hope when life ends. And that, I think, gives us a pretty clear understanding of what hope is in the Bible. Understanding that hope refers to our purpose in life, we see that in the context of our Romans passage, Paul's saying that your purpose in life is inseparably linked to the spiritual gifts that you've been given and the way that you use them for the benefit of the body of believers. Let me say that again. Paul's saying that your purpose in life is inseparably linked. It's connected to the spiritual gifts that you've been given and the way that you use them for the benefit of the body of Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus and you're willing to give your life for Jesus, then his purposes for your life must be your purposes for your life. And if that's the case, then death cannot destroy your hope. Nothing can take away your hope. The Apostle John wrote, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, that is Jesus, purifies himself just as he, that is Jesus, is pure. That's from 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. So what John's saying there is that when Jesus is our purpose in life, we purify ourselves. When we're united with him, as Paul described back in Romans chapter 6, we become as pure as he is in the Father's eyes. And that's why the only real hope that we can find in all of human existence is found in Jesus. It's the only hope that lasts Hope also refers to our trust that God can and will fulfill the promises that he's made, but which haven't been completely fulfilled yet. And that's why the author of Hebrews wrote, quote, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. So hope, in the biblical sense, has nothing to do with statistical possibility or probability or with chance. And if it's not referring to our reason for living, therefore, when we find this word hope, it's referring to the guarantee, not the possibility. It's referring to the guarantee of the fulfillment 
of God's promises. Now, the question I want to leave you guys with today is this. What's your hope? What is your purpose in life? Are you living for Jesus? Are his purposes your purposes? Is bringing glory to him your purpose in life? If your hope is in anything else, whether that be money or government or material possessions or whatever, if your hope is in anything else, then you're cheating yourself out of a life of true hope and significance. I want to encourage you to focus on making Jesus your reason for living, your purpose in life every single day, because nothing else is going to last. If you're trusting in anything that changes, it's like standing in sinking sand. But we can put our hope and trust in Jesus because he's unchanging. He gave you a new purpose in life, a new hope when he made you into a new creation. Is your life reflecting that? Is the body of Christ benefiting from it in some way? A.W. Tozier once wrote, quote, God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves, end quote. That's our hope. That's our purpose, to serve the Lord as his hands and feet, trusting in what he's gifted and called us to do, rather than trusting in our own ideas and our own abilities apart from him. Rejoice in the purpose in life that you've been gifted and called to. It will strengthen you, friends. It will strengthen you in your walk with the Lord in the midst of or in preparation for times of tribulation and persecution. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us hope, not just a a possibility of something good happening to us someday, but a promise, Lord, that you have saved us, that you've called us your own, that we are your children, and that we have a new purpose in serving you. Lord, we thank you for giving us an eternal significance in our lives, not just living for the here and now, Lord, but to live for you, to live for things that truly matter. God, I pray that you will speak to each one of us today, that you'll show us how we can serve you more diligently, how we can love you more wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for this time, Father. We we love you. We are devoted to you. Help us to live in a greater sense of devotion on a daily basis. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for directing us, for praying for us on our behalves, and for leading us toward Christ-likeness. So we pray that you will help us, strengthen us, and reveal to us how we can serve you better with our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus.